My name is Anthony Capazzoli, and this is the Dismantled Life Podcast, where we share stories of hope, love, and strength from the darkness of addiction into the sunlight of sobriety. These are stories from people just like us who have lived through the pain and made it. No matter how bad it gets, just know that you can and will recover. It takes work. It takes hard work. Each week, we talk in detail about what it takes to make it, what it takes to beat your addictions. I am a recovering addict from alcohol, cocaine, and nicotine. My addiction started in eighth grade. I am now 50. I had over 40 years of very bad habits to break. I hit rock bottom hard. More than once, I nearly died. I would have left my wife and two young children behind. I've been clean and sober for nearly three years. I completely dismantled my entire life and rebuilt it from the ground up. I believe to make it in recovery, it takes a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual approach. It takes a positive mindset. It takes hard work. It takes a village. Join me weekly to learn from my sober superhero guests on the Dismantle Life podcast. Subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to your podcast. Check me out at dismantle.life. Email me at anthony at dismantle.life anytime. Please be sure to leave a rating and review anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And let me know if you want to be on the show. Happy recovery. I've been following you uh, like many people do on on Instagram. I absolutely love your photos, and I love your the backstories to each of your great photos. It's uh, it's great, and I'm I'm a big fan. Well, thank you. I think every picture has a story. First time, I wasn't a huge fan of social media personally, and then I started using it for my sobriety and and to support other people on their journeys. And I I found this amazing community of people on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook who support one another and throw some sunshine at each other with likes and great comments and support from time to time. And then I I stumbled across your great pictures with the story of the the trip or the hike up the mountain on your soberversary, which I thought was spectacular. That was my very first post I saw yours. That was part of my journey. Well, every day is a part of my journey. Um, But it was just something where I hiked a lot in the beginning, just because that gave me the opportunity to just drop into my own head and my own space and think a lot. And that kind of came to me while I was hiking. It works. I have a similar path. I, you know, when I started my sober journey after nearly killing myself with cocaine and drugs and, uh, or rather cocaine and alcohol and cigarettes, I ended up in the hospital for a very long time and I, I, I didn't know where to start. So I just started walking and I could barely walk five minutes without huffing and puffing and, you know, keeling over for lack of breath. And now three years later, I walk two to five miles a day. I box eight rounds a day. I bike five miles a day. So it's quite a path that it really helped me get sober and it helps me stay sober and clear my head in a very wonderful way. Yeah. It's amazing how resilient your body is. I mean, you can just beat it up and abuse it. And over time it fights back and it does make a recovery. It does. And I am a big, I believe that there is a mental, emotional, spiritual, somatic connection, and you just have to pursue it and it, good things will happen, at least for me. Um, And it sounds like for you and many, many other people that have been on the show have had a similar path, whatever it might be, uh, yoga in some cases or hiking or biking or boxing, whatever. And it's, it's very, very good. 
Yes, absolutely. And it's amazing. I mean, even when your body heals, your mind can heal, your energy can heal, your soul can, I mean, everything can heal given enough time. It does. It really does. Um, And thanks again for coming on the show. And maybe because we've kind of, you know, I start recording right away just so I can pick up what usually is the magic, by the way, um, for the intros and the outros are these awesome little sound bites. And I think we're on our way to a very good episode here. Awesome. Well, I'm excited. So like I said, just, I mean, I have nothing to hide. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Truthfully, it's, it's, I spent too many years hiding and in shame of what I was now it's like yeah this is this is it I there's there's nothing to hide I'm the same way and now look at you've got these you have a badass sleeve tattoo you have awesome just you you seem so happy when I see that no I don't know this is the first time we've ever talked but on Instagram you just seem to have great days every day which is really wonderful well you know what and truthfully not every day is great I mean I because that sets me up for failure right I don't have good days. I don't have bad days. I just have days. Yeah. You know, whatever they are, they are. I can't, I am not all being, I can't make everything perfect, but how I react to it is the only thing I can control. I have spent some time, you know, in my own head reading and and trying to pick up the right path myself. And I've learned that if I give up the outcome by doing the, the right work, the hard work, and just being okay with the result of that work, that leads to, to me being happy. I, I, it can't be I lost five pounds because that five pounds can come and go, but it's it's the path of the process, I think, that I've come to enjoy. And by loving that, it makes every day uh, – gives me the opportunity to have a good day every day. My days are my days. And if if I try to get every day to be a great day, then I would be in constant state of disappointment because not right. every day can be day a great day. If you don't mind, if we could start with, and again, I have no medical background, and this is just a term that I use on the show, but mm-hmm. I, I call it pre-addiction. And what I mean by that is, is just what was life like before you got into or picked up whatever it was you got into or picked up? I truthfully, I I was born an addict. There is no pre-addiction for me. You know, it's just that's even I was thinking about it before the show and kind of like, well, where did my journey begin? And it's either I don't really know anything other than addiction. I can remember going to church with my mom and coming home and sharing a beer with my dad. And I was probably five or six. So, you know, to me, it's always been there. I got kicked out of junior high school for drinking. I drank all through high school. So to me, there's really no, you know, what was like before. It's more like, what is life after? That's a really interesting way to put it. My journey didn't start as young as yours. I started around eighth grade where I was hitting it, what I would say, aggressively and consistently. And I rode that wave for 40-some years of Mm -hmm. just getting uh, escalating worse and worse in terms of the amounts and the duration of alcohol. Then that wasn't doing it. I needed to add other shit, which was cocaine and then smoking two packs and yada, yada. And I say yada, yada because everyone that's listening to the show is probably sick of that part of my side of the microphone. And I mean that because I, I, it's a really interesting way to put it, Lonnie, where you hit the ground running with a, a, with the addiction. So maybe we can just skip to, skip to the transition. Like what made you put it down? Maybe that's a better way to go. Well, for me, it's um, because like you, I don't think anybody just has one addiction. I mean, if you do, you do, and that's great. But I have found um, that if you have one addiction, and again, addiction is all about just 
you know, not really having that self-love, you know, I mean, any, anybody who's in a, who cares for their being isn't going to not care for themselves enough to not put that drink. I don't know. You know, I could, I don't want to get too judgy and I don't really want to say what other people's visions are. But for me, I had the drinking, I had smoking and I had gambling. Hmm. So it was all three of those. I I do all nighters at a casino, you know, I would, it was just for me, ultimate rock bottom. I was, I, I mean, I had a great job and I was, I made great money and I was giving it all away and my children weren't speaking to me. And I just woke up one morning and I'm like, I don't want to die like this. If I don't make a conscientious decision and do something about it, I will die sad and alone. So I had no, I had no idea. I didn't even know what to do. So I Googled how to be happy and it came up with some bullet points of like, you know, write down what it is that makes you not happy and do one thing at a time. And I, that was my journey to acknowledging that I had enough self-worth that I could be happy. So I decided at that time I couldn't, I couldn't get run. I couldn't get rid of one without all three. So yeah. I went cold turkey on all three. Got to rip the bandaid off. I'm uh, like you just described a, a, a multiple addiction person with the cocaine, the alcohol, and the cigarettes. And I can't. If I I know myself, some people are like, oh, do you think you'll ever drink again? And not busting my balls or not being an asshole or not trying to get me to drink. It's just a, it's a fair question. If somebody isn't struggling with addiction like like me and. And I always no, say, no, actually, I can't. no, actually, it's an asshole question. Let's just call it for what it is. You know, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm not going to bullshit around this. It's like walking up to an addict going, hey, do you think you'll ever do heroin again? I mean, what's the difference? You know, the only difference is, is it's socially acceptable to pick up a drink. <laughs> No, you are absolutely right, and I'm going to restate it. I get some bullshit asshole questions from time to time, whether or not I'm going to drink again, and the answer is absolutely not, because I'll go right back to where the absolutely. fuck I started. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I don't know. I mean, it's like, and I don't, and my post today on, on Instagram was about bullying and people saying the rudest, snidest things, and to me... If somebody asks a recovering addict, are you ever going to drink again? The answer should be, that's a really rude, that's a, you know, don't ask people that. Yeah. You know, it's like asking a fat person, are you planning on losing weight? You know? Yeah. It's just, it's just not okay. So, and I think it's part of our sobriety. We're allowed to be like, yo, this is my sobriety. Don't, don't fuck with it. Right. You know, this is my little piece of slice of heaven that I have worked really super hard for, you're not allowed anywhere near it. Yeah. That's just my little tangent there. But I yeah. protect my sobriety viciously because it took monumental inner strength and will to get where I am. And I'm not going to let anybody, anybody jeopardize that because you never know what's going to trigger you. I mean, I can be fine for years and somebody will say something and it, it sucker punches me. Yeah. And I didn't realize that that was my trigger. Well, you know, you just have to, I think personally speaking up for your sobriety helps in maintaining your ability to keep it. 
I love everything you just said. And I think that what's wonderful about that is it's the razor's edge of this whole thing in a good way where most of us have to try to be polite in societal terms. And I think you're, you're spot on. I mean, screw people that do that. And I guess until this very moment, I was afraid to maybe take that position. But I agree with you. It's an asshole thing to say or ask. It's not a fair fucking question at any level. So no. I, it's it's really interesting because, you know, it's okay for – how do I – it's going to be – I'm going to try to put this in the words. My secret of addiction and, – and it wasn't a secret. Everyone knew that what I was doing. But I was holding it as, as some kind of secret that nobody knew. And that burden of that was part of, uh, you know – cutting my Achilles heel, if as it were. And then, but, but being clean and, and sober because I'm sharing my story and I'm out with it. There's a certain pride in that for me. Like you said, it's kind of my superpower now where um, I'm very good in my own skin. I went to a last night is a perfect example. I went to a rehearsal dinner for a wedding and today when we're done, I'm heading over and I'm officiating a wedding for the first time in my life. I'm very excited mm-hmm. about that. Very um, cool. But at the rehearsal, you know, that's filled with alcohol and people drinking and all of that stuff. And I wasn't bothered one bit. It didn't, I had zero issues with that at all. And I, I got home at, you know, nine o'clock because it's, you know, I'm not staying up for the rampage part of the, the event, of course, anymore. And I don't drink. So I just went home and I was so proud that it does turn into like uh, this superpower. I've mentioned it on my show before. And I, and I love how what you stated that how hard we have to work to get here and to keep it. Cause you're, you're right. It's really hard work. Yeah. And absolutely. And the whole thing is going back to what you, what you said in the beginning, it's like, I mean, every addict knows they're an addict. They're not, you know, they know it, Yeah, but they also live with a certain sense of guilt and shame you know, you try to hide it. You you know, you don't walk around and be like, hi, my name's Lonnie. I'm an addict. You know, <laughs> you don't say it broadly. You have that certain sense of like, I'm going to hide this. And with that hiding comes shame and guilt. And to me, guilt is nothing but a soul sucking fucking demon who's going to take every ounce of happiness you have from you. So once you go from being an addict full of guilt and then you're sober and you have Pride, you have to let go of that, like that guilt of like, I was an addict or, you know, I've had people be like, oh, you shouldn't say that you're an addict. I'm like, why? What's wrong with it? I'm sorry. You know, I don't, I'm not ashamed of it. It's a part of who I am. And keeping that mindset of like, I am not ashamed of my past allows me to look at people when they ask me that with full vengeance and just determination of that is not acceptable. You're you're absolutely right, and I love it. I you know, and I love the sim- the simple first step. And and I don't mean simple that it wasn't hard. I mean simple just by googling what to do, um, how to get happy. I love I love that. I I have to say because that is the magic moment. I, I call it the everything and nothing moment because it doesn't always have to be the slammed down on the rocks rock bottom. It could be just the decision to say I've had enough of this shit. Fuck mm-hmm. it. And and I'm not suggesting that your moment was not very, very hard and challenging and rock bottom. I'm saying that first step towards sobriety is the single most important step of the journey because you have to begin. And beginning is admitting that maybe you don't know what step number one or two is. So Googling it, I think is fucking 
brilliant and beautiful. I, well, I Google really knows like everything. It. I mean, to me, it's like Google's going to tell me what to do. So. <laughs> right. And then, so let's talk about what you found. I mean, you said you had to write, you had to write down what was making you unhappy. And then. And then, so it was like, I think part of it was like, write down what makes you unhappy and then pick one and change it. And then it will lead to like step two, step three. So I'm like, I have to quit drinking, I, you know, and I knew then and there that I, again, I had to quit all three to quit one. There was no that. So I had the mindset of like, I had such a pattern. I'd wake up, I'd go to work, five o'clock, my mouth would start watering because I knew I wanted to get home and start drinking. I could go all day long and not even think about it. But once that, like that dinner bell rang, yeah, it, that's all I could think about was to try to get home to start drinking. So I'm like, I got to change my pattern. I can't go straight home because I'll never stay sober. I have to do something. So all day long at work, I was just worried about it. So I called my son. I'm like, I can't go home after work. You know, I, I have to do something other than go home. So we went to the movies and we saw Johnny Knoxville. I think it was called Grandpa's Boy or something. Yeah, sure. Of course. It's a great movie. <laughs> great movie. I love <laughs> yeah. that movie. So we went there um, and we watched the movie and I went home and went straight to bed, but I broke that pattern. Yeah. So a lot of nights after that, I would just go straight home and go straight to bed, but I had to do something different. So that led to like, Hey, I can, I changed this pattern. And then the, like the first weekend was horrifying because I didn't know what I was going to do differently. Um, so I was back then I had like a part-time gig where I was hosting wine tours. So I was a recovering alcoholic trying to get sober with a bus full of 30 people getting drunk. <laughs> the dichotomy of that is amazing. And I love it because yeah. there's a lot of sober bartenders and sounds like wine tour uh, yeah. hosts as well. So, but, but once you decide to put it all down, you could do that. You know? Yeah. And it was just, it was uh, the epitome of it. And I, I, I still remember I had a dream one time where I, it was right in the beginning when I wanted to become sober and my addiction had a form and I'm, I'm a firm believer and you have to give whatever you're fighting against, you have to give it a, a shape and a form because otherwise you're swinging at air. But I had a dream and my addiction was just like this big black blob and I'm like, I'm going to get rid of you. And it was like, no, you're not. And I'm like, yes, I am. And it's like, no, no, you're not going to get rid of me. And I'm like, just watch me. So I knew at then what I was fighting. And um, I just, you know, every time the the, tw the twinge would hit or I'd want to just be like, screw it. I'd be happier if I was drunk. I would do something different. Maybe take my dog for a walk or, you know, I just had to change that repeating pattern that I had embedded in my life. For me, I would have to, like, there were times, and I still, to this day, I, I'll get up sometimes at three in the morning and just go take a, a walk because I, I could feel the trigger being triggered. And mm -hmm. I don't even know what the trigger is. I just have that feeling where I'm like, oh my God, like I, you know, you just wake up with, I call it getting itchy, um, whatever it might be. It could be a song. Who the hell knows? Right. And, and I get triggered and I'll go for a, I'll just go for a, like a 3 a.m. walk or I'll go in the basement and I have a box. I like the box. And uh, so I'll go hit the double end bag of the heavy bag. But I, I agree. I have to give my addiction a different outlet. And that's where learning 
the new routines was similar in my story as yours, where I had to, I didn't quite give it a face. I kept my addiction nebulous. And I, I like what you described where giving your identity, your rather the addiction an ugly identity, as it were, mm-hmm. it's a really interesting way to go. And I have to think about, about that because I think it's great. I, I think to give it a face that you can beat up, so to speak, is really, really good. Yeah. Well, you can't, I can't fight, you know, like I said, you can't fight air. Yeah. But you can fight. I always look at it as, you know, like those campy horror films where there's some girl in the woods in a cabin yeah. and, you know, the monsters out there and you're like, lock the fucking window. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, don't go out there. Yeah. I consider right. like my my addiction is that thing trying to get in the cabin and it's constantly trying to get in. But I don't I mean, I don't dwell on it, but I make sure all my doors and windows are locked. And every once in a while, when you wake up and you kind of got that little itchy feeling, it's always yeah. trying to get back in. I mean, and anybody who, who, who just doesn't acknowledge that is, it's a scary thing, but that's with, by you getting up and going for a walk, you're fortifying your doors, you're checking your windows, you yeah. know, you're keeping that, that thing out that's trying to get in. It's so true. One of the guests, Roland, in his episode, he specifically said this in a different way. And he said, as I'm inside watching TV, my addictions are outside doing push-ups, which is exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about, where your addiction is getting, keeping in fighting shape, ready to strike. Whenever you let your guard down at any moment, it could be anything. Oh, yeah. And that's the truth of it. Yeah. and But you know what? I don't look at it as a bad thing. I look at it as, you know, like, again, and I'm very visual, but I look at it like um, Ripley on Aliens. You know, I'm that badass who's going to strap herself into a robot yeah. and punch the bitch in the mouth. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the victim. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I love that because, and that's the flip side of this. I think as an addict, I had to take ownership. I had to be proud of my ability to fight the fight. I had to stare down my bullshit. I couldn't give myself a break or an outlet or an excuse. I had to own everything in turn, no matter what it was, make it my problem. Therefore, I could solve it. I couldn't keep it a distance somebody else's bullshit. I couldn't, as soon as I gave up it, pointing fingers and blaming other people and claiming situational bullshit and whatever, and owning it, mm-hmm. I could then fight the fight to solve the problem because it was my problem. And that that little pivot is a big deal. And I think that sometimes you can tell um, when it doesn't even have to be somebody that's an addict, right? If if people are always kind of, oh, I'm having a bad day because this happened or that happened, but you're not doing anything to fix it. Well, then you're always going to have a shit day. I mean, everybody's an addict. I mean, that person you just described is addicted to misery. Right. You know, I mean, that's just the whole thing. It's like, it's really easy for them to point fingers and be like, you're an addict. Well, I'm, a, I'm sorry, well, you're an addict to mediocrity. You know, you're an addict to being too scared to live your life. I mean, everybody, everybody has their, their addiction. Everybody has their comfort level. It's just all different. And it's the, the ones who are taken out with the drinking and the drugs or whatever. They're the ones that everybody points, you know, we're the ones that are out more obvious. We have the more obvious problems, but there's no person who walking in this life who doesn't have some sort of issue that they're dealing with. You know, ours just happens to be bigger and badder. You are, you are absolutely right. And there's a lot of people that are addicted to misery, as you say. And, and 
it's you kind of want to shake him and be like, you know, come on, you have to own the process. You can't just let it come to you. You've got to take active active measure. You have mm-hmm. to be purposeful in your in whatever it is you're fighting and give it a face, like you said. I, you know, giving it a face is a big deal. That's something really interesting to me that I'm going to think about because I I love that idea. Yeah, and I found too when I um when I found my voice and I started my journey. It was really hard for me just to not walk up to people and be like, yo, you need to do this and you can change it and and you can be happy and look at me. If you can do it, I can, if I can do it, you can do yeah. it. And people aren't always open to that, you know, and I had to realize that just because I was in this headspace, not everybody else was. And so I've learned that I kind of have to just be like, you're where you're at. I'm where I'm at. If you If you want me to share my story, I will. If not, then, you know, I'm going to keep on plugging. Did your journey get, and I'm not trying to minimize anything because okay. I, I know I have, I have good days and I have bad days or hard days or easier days. You know, sometimes it's not in my face all day long, but some days it is. Did your, did your recovery process have a lot of ebbs and flows and ups and downs, or did you have a nice consistent up and to the right kind of experience with it? There was, I can't really remember like one super hard day or, I mean, it might be a moment. It could have been this, it I had a couple of trial runs at being sober. I did the whole, like, if I can stop for 30 days, I'm not an alcoholic. <laughs> exactly. We've all done that. <laughs> yeah. For sure. And I'm all like, clearly I am not an alcoholic as I drank an 18 pack of beer in one day. You know, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not as bad as that person. I must be fine. You yeah. Know, yeah. Way. You know what? So I, I mean, and I had a couple of those incidences and but. I didn't look at it as a failure. I just looked at it as a, I knew it was coming and I just, I took it. But no, I can't really remember any like bad time, good time. It was more just a constant. It's like walking uphill. It was just a slow, steady climb. And every day it got a little bit easier. But I did replace alcohol with brownies. And I, I, um, I loved my brownies and yeah. I gained about 45 pounds. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. So yeah. you you really did replace it, sure. Oh yeah. I thought, no. I, I thought I thought it was hyperbole for a minute, but no. It no, I I was it was I was getting the same satisfaction out of that first bite of chocolate as I was out of the first drink of beer. Hmm. So um, I realized what I was doing, and I knew what it was. But I gave myself a break, and I'm like, if I gain weight just to get sober, I can always lose weight when I'm ready. Yeah. Um, but I and I did. And I'm back to where I was, but I'm very conscientious. Like, um, if I do something and it gives me like that little moment of like, oh, that's cool, like shopping or the, or whatever it is, I'm very conscientious that I'm not replacing that feeling with something else. If that makes yeah. any sense. Oh no, it makes it makes perfect sense. I have to, and still to this day, I've got to be very cautious. There's a certain. Uh, BPM type of music, high energy club music that I have to stay away from because it it's a trigger for me, and I have to be in a good place. Like on a, a if I'm working out or, or something, I could listen to it, but I can't just pop it on and and, and for like enjoyment's sake or anything because it's a huge trigger for me. It makes me want to run screaming to my coke dealer and <laughs> buy alcohol, and I've got to be real careful with it because it can. Send me the other way. I've, like I mentioned before, I've got that wedding today, and I'm going to go right about 20 minutes before the ceremony. I'm going to officiate. I'll stay for dinner, and I'll be polite and cordial and visit for a little while, but then I'm going to head off before the music starts because that 
I just, I don't, I try to always put myself in a position to, to have a good day or to win. And I know that with everybody drinking and socializing and having fun, it's going to create too many opportunities for weakness for me. I'll have to get out. It's like you, it's like you're the girl in the cabin and you're going to open the door to see if the monster's still out there. <laughs> it's right. And it is out there. You, just yeah, know, you know the there. monster's out there. Just don't open the damn door to look. <laughs> That's right. Just keep Netflix on and chill. Don't look, don't go out there. It's it bad didn't out there. go anywhere. It's funny that you say that because I actually have a wedding I have to go to today also. And the thing I found out um, probably the strangest is after I stopped drinking, I cannot dance. <laughs> I, I clearly drunk was a great dancer or at least great in my dance. mind i had to be probably that that elaine girl out there just flailing all around yes. but, it, but in my drunken state i was like oh my god i was just hilarious. blasting a move and i went to one after i first got sober and i'm like i have no rhythm you know? <laughs> You're like, I'm going to stay over here in the back. I'm not getting out there. I did a not lot of hip hiking. I'm like, dun, 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 dun. And I was just, oh, my God. But I will do the same thing. I'm going to go for the ceremony. I'll make a presence. But I'll just, you know, I'll fade out into the background. Because for one thing, it, I don't enjoy watching people drink. Yeah. And, you know, I to me, I get no satisfaction out of it. In fact, I stopped doing those wine tours because to me, um, I I could see them. I mean, it was like, it's okay. Going back to like movies, you know, like those movies where the people have like an outside face, but somebody has that superpower to see inside and they can see no. what's going on in there. I could see that in those people, you know, you could tell the, the housewife who never goes anywhere, who's unhappily married, who gets drunk and is trying to dry hump the guy pouring the wine, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know you got the girl who's there on the bachelorette party and she's pretending to be happy but ultimately she just wants to like murder the the bride to be and it's like i didn't (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're just totally peeling away all these perfectly living stereotypes but you're right you are so right yes and to me it's like i don't enjoy seeing people with their their masks down because that's what alcohol does yeah you know everything i i can't stand it with people be i didn't really mean it i was drunk i'm like no absolutely you meant it it just alcohol loosened your tongue and you said it and now you regret it so i i believe in there's a uh a saying in latin in vino veritas in i'm sure you've heard it but it it means in wine there is truth and it's it's 100 true like you're the same person drunk as you are sober but drunk you say shit and do shit that you want to do sober but you don't Mm -hmm. because your social inhibitions are in place as soon as you give yourself a drink or whatever the hell it is you think that you're untouchable or you could use it as a fucking excuse and it's not an excuse and you know I used to do that all the time. I would create my drunk identity, but I wasn't creating it. I was just letting that person out, which was really me inside. And that's the treacherous part. That's the sad part. You, I had to come to terms with the ugliness inside me and fix that. Um, and, but you're right. There, there's that layer of you in there. And I knew what the fuck I was doing. Plus I was, I was so coked up that I was never drunk enough. Um, so I had both, I was fighting on both sides of the fence. It was brutal. Yeah. And to me, it's like, it's funny that you mentioned it because it's, to me, um, and addict or not, we all have this conscious and we have a subconscious. 
And we people spend a lot of time with their conscious mind trying to have the facade. It's like, this is what I should be. And they spend all this time subconscious, not going into their subconscious. So when you drink, that subconscious barrier falls down and your subconscious comes out. So that's why people say things that they wouldn't normally say because they don't have the ability to keep that wall up. So subconscious comes barreling through. But probably one of the most pivotal things I did for myself when I was, um, I mean, like I said, I'm always on my journey, but in the beginning, is I started doing yoga, which I always think is extremely important. I found such great tools. Um, but during a meditation ses- session, I literally traveled back to myself as a child in the room because as a child, we don't have a voice. You know, yeah. we have a voice, but it, it all depends if somebody else is going to listen to our voice, you know, mm-hmm. and I, 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 saw myself as a small child in a room and I went back to myself as an adult form who I am today. And I saved that child. And I'm like, you have a voice, you matter. You no longer have to be here and be scared. I am here. And we almost became like one because we, I was too fragmented. I had the past child who was scared. I had the the person who I am today, and I had to bring them together and give that child a voice. And I've never been more okay with myself since I did that. Gosh, that's uh, that's really powerful and perfectly stated because I you perfectly described that because there are cracks in my identity from childhood as well that. I'm now three years into my sobriety coming to terms with. So I, I, what I love most is that bridge is possible, which that's my the favorite thing I like to hear. And that making that okay to be that broken kid is really important because you're right. You don't have a voice. You stay in your lane. You do what you're told. You take the abuse, whatever the hell it is. And mm-hmm. it's hard. It's hard. I mean, a lot of it starts back then and, that's the one thing for me I struggle with. I have two children. I've got an eight and a five-year-old boy, two boys, my wife and I, and I hope I haven't fucked them up already because of my my addictions. And I'm going to work real hard to do what I can to make them okay. But it's 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 my biggest nightmare is is ruining them. Well, you know, I mean, as a parent, we always we're never going to be perfect. And my children, I have a 30-year-old and a 27-year-old son. And, um, my oldest son actually became sober a year before I did. And so he was, he was, he started the whole trend. First it was him, then it was me. And then it was my youngest son. But there are very few scars that I have in life that I will never get rid of. And my parenting is one of them. But, you know, it's. I mean, and I've given them the voice and, you know, I've acknowledged it. We have great relationships now. My youngest son works with, we both, we all three work together, basically, in one form or another. Um, Couldn't ask for a better relationship. But the simple fact that I know what I did will always be with me. I can't be guilty because guilt is horrible and it leads to addictions, but I at least acknowledge it. 
And by acknowledging it and just going forward, your children are going to remember that way more than when you were drinking. Because in my conversations with them, they're like, yeah, we can't even remember what you were like when you were drunk. And yeah. I'm like, well, that's good. Yep. But I mean, and I can see like certain insecurities in them. And I can see, I, I can see things in them that I wish I had have nurtured better. But even in an adult life, having a good relationship with your children makes a lot of difference. You know, so you can't be like, I screwed them up. You know, I've done damage. Every parent does damage to their children. The simple fact that you acknowledge it and you're trying to do something about it now is leaps and bounds over those other perfect looking families that never acknowledge their children, period. Yeah. You know. This is a great discussion and exactly what I knew it would be because I'm, again, I'm a fan of of you and, and not in a creepy way, but on Instagram, I'm motivated by your posts. I'm motivated by your stories behind the post because you always have really nicely written a sentence or two about what's going on and, and everything. And I love it because I, like I mentioned, uh, and just in closing is I used to really despise social media because it all, there's so much ugliness in social media because it's easy to be tough or some bullshit because you've got the keyboard and there's no real confrontation, but I love, so I dismiss all that part of it. And I use it, like I said, for a positive outlet and network. And, and it led me to so many wonderful people. You're one of them. And that's why we're on the show together because I, I do love your posts because they always, it's always you. And what I like about it is, uh, but it's you smiling or you like outdoors and stuff and with your, what you do write and stuff. It's very motivational. And I, and I love it because I use it as a, if, um, if I'm struggling at all a little bit, I'll go on social media and try to help other people by giving them a like or giving them uh, some positive words of encouragement if they're on day one or they post it, they're struggling or something. And then there's others that always um, lead me with some motivational like quotes and statements like you. So I, I really appreciate that. And I've learned a lot from you, Lani. This has been really, really, really helpful. Well, good. Yes. And my and, and truthfully, I hate social media. <laughs> <laughs> I think... In a certain context, you just have to, it's very, it's very easy to, if you're in a bad spot, you look at social media and you're like, everybody's happy but me. Yeah. And that's a really dangerous thing because it can True. make you feel, if you're having any sort of self-doubt at that moment, it's just going to increase that self-doubt. So I really try to express that life is not perfect, but you can still be okay with it. Yeah. You know? Uh, I've been really fortunate. I haven't had anybody um, not be kind. I really don't give a fucking rat's ass if they're not, because they're not <laughs> yeah. going to like what comes back at them. Right. Because I mean, I am very happy, but I've walked a, I've walked a walk. So you yeah. stay in my lane. You're going to be nice, and I want people to have that safe spot where they feel like I can go here and I can say what I want, and nobody's going to bully me. Yeah. So. Thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing your story and and uh, where it started with Google and ended with our conversation today. And I'm looking forward to staying in touch. I'd love to have you back on the show in the future, but you and your boys have a wonderful day today. And thank Thanks. you for carving out some time to spend with me before you go off to the wedding. I appreciate that. And I'll think of you tonight when I'm not dancing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be, yeah, I'm not going to be there long enough, but if you do, just dance horribly than just walk off the floor like that was awesome <laughs> i will definitely do that That's yeah fantastic. yeah like break out the worm or something and go across the dance floor just go do something. old school as hell yeah. and just go nuts either go big or go home 
love it. 